Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. <laughs> well, listen, we are continuing our series in overcoming your struggles. And this week or last Thursday, Shane told me he was going to be out of town and he wanted me to preach. And he said the next example or case study in our series is Job. And I thought, oh my, um, that might be a little bit over my pay grade. Um, overcoming your struggle, pain and suffering, and Job. So we're going to come out fighting on this. We're not going to be timid in our spirits. I'm going to tell you this morning, I know that everyone here at some point in their life, if not today, is facing something that's causing pain, something you're struggling with. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Satan does not have the last word in your struggle. Amen? Amen. Amen. This morning, we're going to proclaim victory. We're going to be like David when he fought Goliath. And we're going to come out and we're going to say, who dares to defy the armies of the living God? Amen. Well, Paul said that this conflict that we have, these struggles that we have, this pain that we're suffering in this physical realm does not originate in this realm. It originates in a world that we can't see, the unseen, calls those heavenly places. And the verse in Scripture that we've been going back to is Ephesians 6.12, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers and authorities and powers in this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm, spiritual places. So even though what you see, what you feel, what you hear, what you taste, what you navigate in this world with your senses is not your problem. It feels like your problem because that's what you see, but it's not your problem. You know... I know this is real, and I will tell you why. Because I said, as I said, Thursday, Shane asked me to preach. Well, the Tuesday before that, my wife and I got into a huge argument. Now, I didn't know at the time why, but it was one of those arguments that spiraled very quickly down. And, and my default response is to withdraw. And... I don't think we spoke for three, three days? Five? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take her word on that. But anyway, on that Tuesday, in the midst of this turmoil, I got the call from Shane, and he asked me to preach. Well, I said... Yes, I, I, I'll do that. But then after I got off the phone and started thinking about it, I started hearing a voice. And that voice said, you, you, can't, you can't share a word. You're, you can't even take care of your own household. How can you get up there and preach to the people? And I started to believe that word. And so I had planned to come up here on Saturday and tell Shane that, I'm not going to be able to do it. You're going to have to find somebody else because I'm not in a good spiritual place right now and I'm not, I'm not the man you need to deliver this message. 
And uh, so I came up here with full intentions of doing that, and the words just wouldn't, wouldn't come out. It just wouldn't come out. And so um, I went, I, I left here, and then I, I, God just pulled back the curtain, and I saw it for what it was. It was a spiritual attack. And I was believing lies that I'm not worthy, that I don't have a word, that I'm a victim, all of this. Now, I'm not saying the devil made me do this. I'm, I'm a sinful man in need of God's grace and forgiveness. Trust me. But what we talked about last week with the strongholds is that we can give Satan opportunities, and he takes advantage of those opportunities to get a foothold. And when he gets a foothold, he gets a stronghold. And that stronghold can take five days for you to overcome and, and break down. So this, what we're talking about here, guys, this is, this is real stuff. So we're dealing with the world that we can't see. And if we don't know how to navigate that world, we'll never be able to fix our problems in this world. So how do we do that? How do we, if we can't see, how do we navigate that world? Well, we have to trust in the one who can see. We trust in the one who created that world, who knows his way around that world. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, because what is seen is temporary. What is, what is unseen is eternal. We walk by faith, not by sight. So what is faith? Faith is confidence in what we hope for, and it's assurance, a certainty in what? What we do not see. So as I mentioned last week, Shane was talking about strongholds, and our case study then was Genesis 3. Satan gained a stronghold in Eve's life. His target was her mind. So the battleground for spiritual, spiritual warfare is always in your mind. It was in my mind. The lies I started to believe were in my mind, and they affected everything that I did in my physical world. So his purpose was to keep you ignorant of the truth. And Eve, just as I let Satan get a foothold, he let, she let Satan get a foothold by what? Made herself vulnerable. She was lingering where she shouldn't have been lingering. She was talking to someone she shouldn't have been talking to. She was not familiar with God's word, and that may have been Adam's fault. Um, there were a lot of things that she did to not flee from that situation, and Satan got a foothold, and that turned into a stronghold. So the best thing that we can do is to prevent the problem in the first place. But we can't prevent the problem if we don't know how to navigate that world, if we're not even aware of it, if we're ignorant of that. And Satan wants to keep you ignorant of that world. But there's something you need to be aware of about snakes, and I didn't always know this. But did you know that a snake, when you chop its head off, can still bite you for at least an hour and a half after their head has already been chopped off? So don't underestimate a defeated enemy. Don't take this lightly. So this morning, as we open up God's Word, and as I think about what lays before us, 
God's put a burden on my heart because I know so many of you have dealt with pain and suffering that I haven't dealt with. So many of you have lost relationships that weren't supposed to end, and you've been praying, and God is silent. Or in the very least, He hasn't answered that prayer in the way that you wanted it answered. Some of you have lost children. I can't begin to say that I understand that kind of pain and that kind of suffering. So as we go into this, we need to rely heavily on the counsel of God's Word. We need to rely heavily on the Holy Spirit because we don't have the capacity to grasp God. We can only take what the Holy Spirit gives us through the Word and have it speak to our hearts. And that's what I'm going to pray for this morning. Let's pray. Father, I feel this morning inadequate to share this message. I pray that as we go through this, Lord, that that you speak, Holy Spirit, that you speak through your word, that truth be proclaimed this morning, that victory be proclaimed this morning, Lord, not by our strength or our might, but by your spirit, Lord. This is my prayer. Change hearts, starting with mine, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I mentioned, our case study this week is, is Job, and God pulls back the curtain this week, and it kind of gives us a, a preview or a, a view of what's going on in heaven. Um, and something that, that I found very hard, as I, and, I, and I knew this about Job, and I, I kind of knew that this was going to be my struggle as I, as I went through this, was that when Eve got into trouble, she did some things wrong. She did what God told her not to do. She was talking to someone, like I said, that she shouldn't have been talking to. She put herself in a position that made herself vulnerable. When we open up Job, we don't see that. God says that Job was blameless and upright. He was a man of God. He worshiped God. And yet, as we're going to see, all hell broke loose in his life. And it was God that removed his hand of protection. So you see what we're working with here. So in light of that, in light of the heaviness of that, I put down some, some promises from God that I want you to hold on to as we go through this. These are going to be anchors for you. Because this is truth. And when you hear the enemy speaking lies, hold on to these anchors. Jeremiah 29, 11, And you know some of these. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. In Romans, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. 
1 Peter 5.10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And Job himself said, but he knows the way that I take. When he tested me, when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. And finally, Paul in 2 Corinthians came to understand that God's grace was sufficient. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. These are our anchors, guys. These are our anchors. And so we're going to hold on to those, and they're going to keep us from drifting away as we go through this. So as I mentioned, Job was a godly man. God himself said Job was was blameless and upright, a man who feared God and shunned evil. He was blessed with seven sons and three daughters and 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys. Everything that he put his hands to, God blessed. So as far as Job was concerned, he was on the right side of God. And if you're on the right side of God, everything ought to go right with you in this world, right? Isn't that how it works? Isn't that the gospel that's preached? Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to to Job. And we're just going to read from God's Word. I'm going to start at verse 6. The verses prior to that speak of the blessings of Job. It speaks of who Job is in God's sight. That even when his sons would have feasts, that afterwards he would give sacrifices for them just in case they may have sinned against God. This was the kind of man that Job was. Starting at verse 6, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan asked, Does does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and his herds spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. So Satan went out from his presence. And one day... When Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine in the old brother, oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and, the fire of God, and said, The fire of God fell from heavens and burned up the sheep, all 7,000 sheep and the servants. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. 
And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine when a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And at this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground in worship. And said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin in charging God with wrongdoing. So Satan was wrong. Now on another day, the angels came and present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. If that weren't enough, his wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a fool, woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So Satan's argument is, is, of course, of course Job honors you. Of course he worships you. You, you. you give everything to him. But take that all away. Take everything that he treasures away, and he'll curse you to your face. But that didn't happen. So Satan's target... His treasure. It's your treasure. Because he knows, as Matthew 6, 21 points out, for where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. And Satan and God both knew that there's more truth revealed when treasure is taken away than when treasure is given. And Satan was confident that Job would curse God if everything that he treasured was taken away from him. Why was he so confident? Now this is speculation. But I think Satan was so confident that Job would curse God to his face because that's exactly what he did. Everything was taken away from Job. Everything from Satan. Everything was taken away from him. Everything that he treasured was taken away. And he cursed God to his face. So he was certain that Job would do the same thing. 
It was as if Satan was saying to God, if you remove your hand of protection and allow these things to happen, he'll see you the way I see you. And he'll become like me. That's what Satan was really saying to God. But this backfired because God used the same thing against Satan to shame him. And I can imagine Jesus having that same conversation, saying those same words, but with a different meaning. If Jesus says it in view of the cross, if Jesus were to say, if you remove your hand of protection and you allow these things to happen, they will see you the way I see you. And they will become like me. So Satan and God were both using pain and suffering to two different ends. So what are Satan's weapons in this spiritual battle? We think pain and suffering, but I'm more convinced that it's confusion and deception. You see, because the real battle is fought in our minds. The pain we feel, the suffering that we endure is not where the battle is. You see, we can withstand a great amount of pain. The human spirit can withstand a great amount of suffering if we understand our circumstances, if it makes sense to us, if we know why. But the absence of meaning in suffering can be almost intolerable. And that's where the enemy gets a foothold. You see, Job lost everything, and yet he worshiped God. He clung to his faith. But even in the midst of his pain and suffering, with no encouragement from his wife or his three friends, Job still placed his hope in God. But the days turned into weeks. And the weeks turned into months. And Job reached a breaking point. Now you wonder, or I wonder, when I look at the scripture and I see that the challenge was that Job will turn and curse you to your face. And he didn't. And then the affliction of the sores. And Job didn't turn and curse God. I say he won. I say God won. Done. It's over. Let's make everything right again. That didn't happen. You know, after that second chapter, there's 42 chapters in the book of Job. After that second chapter, you don't hear from Satan anymore. That's done. But God's not done. There was something, you know, I don't think that this was ever about Satan. Satan was just a pawn. There was something in this man of God that needed to be purged, that needed to be refined, as he said, to be made like gold after being tested. That was God's purpose. Satan was just a pawn, no different in your suffering and your pain. Satan's already defeated. You're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory, but he doesn't want you to believe that. It wasn't the loss of everything that he held dear that caused him to break. It wasn't the physical pain that caused him to break. It wasn't the persecution that caused him to break. 
So what caused him to break? We can read about that in chapter 23, verses 2 through 5. I'll read it to you. This is Job, after months. Even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. I would state my case before him and I'd fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me. If I could go to the west, I go to the west, I, I don't find him there. I go to the east, he's not there. When he's at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. What Job has experienced is that he can't find God in his suffering. Why did this happen to me? Where is God? So in the midst of our suffering, when God is silent, Satan takes the opportunity to plant these seeds of deception. You know, if God is all-powerful and he can help you, but he doesn't, he must not care about you. Lie. If God cares about you and he wants to help you, but he doesn't, he must not be able. He must not be all that he says he is. Another lie. Doubt gives way to discouragement, and discouragement gives way to despair, and that happened in Job's life. And many of you here today have held on as long as you can. But you you get tired from the weight of your faith. You're tired. Well, are there any examples in Scripture of tremendous loss and God's apparent silence besides this? And what came to my mind was in John 11, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were very close to Jesus. Jesus loved them very much, and Lazarus became ill. And the sister sent word to Jesus the Lord, the one you love, is sick. And the scriptures say that when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Hmm. In speaking to his disciples, Jesus said, Our friend Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. So when Jesus finally did arrive, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Martha came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not be dead. She went back and got Mary, and Mary came and fell at Jesus' feet. This is the same Mary that wiped Jesus' feet with perfume. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And those that came with Mary were weeping. And Jesus knew the whole time what God's purpose was in this. He knew that they were going to see an incredible miracle, that Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead. He knew all of this. But it says that while they were weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And as they took Jesus to the tomb, 
we read that Jesus wept. You see, Jesus said his delay would result in the glory of God. But it also resulted in tremendous grief. See, the lie is that God doesn't care about your situation. He's got other things that are more important than what's going on in your life. And sometimes that's going to delay him. And he'll get to you when he can. But the truth is that God cares deeply about everything that you go through. The scriptures say that he records every tear that you cry. God does not separate himself from your pain. He gets down in the dirt with you and weeps with you. He doesn't promise answers to you on this side of heaven. He doesn't even promise healing for you on this side of heaven. But he does promise that he will never leave you. He does promise his presence. He does promise his grace. And that's what Paul found out, that God's grace is sufficient. And that's what Job was learning, is that God's grace is sufficient. So what... What is our defense? We know that we have God's grace. We know there's going to be suffering. But the problem is that there's no meaning to this suffering. It doesn't make sense. Well, Satan has a purpose in your suffering. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to bring glory to himself. Now God has a purpose as we've seen in Job in that same suffering. But he wants to strengthen your faith. And he wants to bring glory to Jesus through your suffering. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says, In all of this you greatly rejoice, for though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in the praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And when it comes to God's work in you, faith ranks at the top of the list. We don't put it up there. We've got several other things that that are at the top of our list. But we have to understand God's truth that when it comes to us and what he sees in us, faith, our faith ranks at the top. And faith is not based on what we see in our suffering. It's not based on that. It's based on what we don't see. And faith that's never been tested is faith that cannot be trusted. And God knows that. It's a hard lesson for some of us, but God knows that. So Satan wants to separate you from Jesus. He wants to pull you away from God because he knows that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Separated from the vine, you are going to wither and die. And that's what Satan wants to do. So what is your defense? What can we do? What can we do? 
And I think our, our defense in this is the shield of faith that God gives us. Ephesians 6.16 says, In addition to all this, in addition to all this, all this being the, the three prior, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel, and uh, the breastplate of righteousness, those three things we wear all the time. But in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all flaming arrows from the evil one. So this shield is something that we take up, something we pick up. So how do you take up this shield? I mean, let's, put, let's get practical here because we, we, we all say these things, right? We, we talk about these things like, uh, you know, well, you, brother, you just need to, to take up the shield of faith and, and face that struggle. But in reality, what does that mean? You know, well, how do you do that? You see, because we have God's grace. We're saved through faith by grace, right? So faith takes hold of God's grace, right? But what takes hold of our faith? What puts our faith into action? Because I believe those are things that that we do, okay? And there are some practical things that we can do to put our faith into action. And three that I've just outlined here, I believe that our worship, and I believe that's seen in Job, when after he was attacked and everything he treasured taken away, it says that he fell down and worshiped. He praised God. See, when we worship, we proclaim that Jesus is greater than our sins. He's greater than our enemy. He's greater than any problem that we are facing. When we worship, we proclaim that. And when we proclaim that, that activates our faith. And that faith takes hold of God's grace. And we have victory. I believe that something we can do in those times is pray. See, I believe that prayer invites God's presence, invites God into our struggle. Prayer proclaims that we depend upon His power and not our power. And when you pray, that activates your faith, which takes hold of God's grace, and you have victory. That's how it flows. That's how it flows. Because the works will never take hold of God's grace by themselves. It's always through faith. It's always through faith. And that is a shield that we pick up, that we take up when we're being attacked. And we pick that up by worshiping. That's what, that's what Job did. He was being attacked, and he picked up that shield, and he worshiped. And he prayed. He invited God. He spoke to God. It's okay to argue with God. He's big enough. He's big enough for that. The last thing I think that I've got outlined here is seeking him first. Seek first his kingdom. That's something that we can do. See, because when it says that we take up the shield, what it means, the real meaning of that is 
position of the shield. And the position of the shield was always in front. You always had to put it in front of you. And you got behind the shield if you wanted to be protected. And so by seeking God first, seeking His kingdom first, we're putting God in front of us in everything that we do. When we wake up in the morning, we seek Him first. And when we encounter a problem, we don't try to exhaust our resources and then turn to God and say, okay, I can't do it, I need you. Reverse that. You need to put God first, seek Him first, see what He's wanting to teach you in this. And when it doesn't make sense, as it didn't in Job's life, understand that there are things about God that we're not supposed to to get. See, Job was on the right side of things, and things went completely wrong. His suffering was not a result of his sin. It was God's hand, and he didn't understand that. And I've asked that a lot in my life, of why God did it have to happen this way? And sometimes I get answers and sometimes I don't. But, you know, as my wife pointed out to me, our brains can't stretch enough to understand God sometimes. And Scripture tells us that that's that's true. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. Amen. Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. You cannot understand God, but don't let your lack of understanding affect your worship, your prayers, seeking Him first. Don't stop seeking Him first, because that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants to pull you away from Jesus. He wants to pull you away from God. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. You know, we spend most of our lives learning to take care of ourselves, don't we? And then all of a sudden, after you give your life to Christ, you have to learn how to let Jesus take care of you. And that's a hard thing to do sometimes, letting go of that. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, submit to Him. Put Him first. And He will make your path straight. You know, Paul was obedient to the gospel. And yet, he suffered greatly. He was flogged, beaten, shipwrecked thrown in prison. He knew what it was like to go without food, without clothing, without shelter. On top of all of that, of all that he suffered, he had a thorn in his side. And he prayed three times for that to be taken away, and it wasn't taken away. But yet, in his letter to the Romans, he was able to to write these words. After all of this affliction... Maybe because of of all of this affliction. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things 
present or things to come, no powers, no height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. That's what Satan's trying to do, but he says nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. But how did he, how did he come to be so sure of that? He suffered. I wish it wasn't that way. But Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So he knows we're going to be afraid. He knows we're going to fear. You know, as Kendall and I talked about this morning, the disciples were in the boat and they were crossing from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. And Jesus was in the boat with them. And he was sleeping. And then a storm came. Now these disciples were in the center of God's will. Jesus was with them in the boat and a storm came. See, Jesus knew when he was taking them from one side to the other that it was going to involve a storm. The purpose of the storm was a testing of their faith, which is so precious because there's going to come a time in everyone's life when that faith is challenged. When you need to pick up that shield and you want to pick up a shield that you're confident in, that you're sure of, is going to protect you from those darts. So there is victory. But when I look at this, guys, I still, I was like, okay, these are all, this is all true. This is all true. And I look at Job and I see all of this and I say, that's true, that's true. You know, but God, you're up there and I'm down here and I'm having to go through this and I can't see you sometimes. But I always go back to the cross because I can see that. I can see that. I can see God on the cross who prayed for that cup to pass and it didn't pass. I can see God when everything that he treasured was taken away from him. You know, it's not us trying to do this. God, you're God. You can do this. But, but it's different for us because we're not God. But then I see Jesus. And everything was taken away from him. And what did he do? He worshiped. He prayed. And he continued to seek God, his Father, through all of that. And the result was victory. The result was God's glory. The result was defeat for the enemy 
When we started out, I said, Satan does not have the last word in your suffering. God has the last word in your suffering, and he's already spoken at the cross. You have victory. You're not defeated. You're a child of God. Don't listen to the lies. You listen to the truth, and you will prevail. Gentry, you can go ahead and come on back up. I told you guys this was going to be a difficult word, but a necessary word. Be encouraged. Amen. While we're waiting on Gentry, one more word of encouragement. Let's just keep this going. All right. This is from Daniel. And you probably are at least familiar with the names or know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they refused to worship the idols of Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, he said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve will be able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So these men, wearing their robes and trousers and turbans, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. But Nebuchadnezzar looked in there And he said, look, I see four men around and walking around in that fire, unbound, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Praise Jesus. See, even if, even if we're thrown into a fiery furnace of suffering and pain, it does not matter. We will never serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We will never give in to you, Satan. We will never give in to the enemy because our God will deliver us. He has delivered us. And he is that fourth man walking around in the fire. Our God will never leave us. He was in the fire with them, going through it with him. Jesus was with Mary and Martha. He wept with them. He weeps with you. He's aware of your pain. He's aware of your suffering. 
It will all be made right. But until then, continue to worship. Until then, continue to pray. Invite God into the struggle. Until then, seek Him first. Thank you, guys.